0: Makes you think, doesn't it? Hey, before we jump into part three of how to get what you really want, I just want to reiterate what I'm sure you've all heard at all of our Atlanta area campuses. Um, this week is our group link week. And I just want to say this. Um, Sandra and I started in a small group before the church started 22 years ago. Um, we started our first group. We were in group when we were married without kids, married with one kid, married with two kids, married with three kids, married with middle school kids, married with high school kids, married with foster kids. And we would not give up anything for those the investment of those years in our marriage, in our parenting, um, in the people who were in groups with us. And so I know you're busy, but I, please don't miss this opportunity. And because our we have an incredible, one of our staff values around here, we have six staff behaviors that we reinforce all the time. And one of them is make it better, make it better, make it better. And our group staff, our group's team has taken taken that seriously and they've made group link even better. So please, please, please don't miss it. And, you, but this, one of the reasons it's going to be better is we need you to register. So if you're attending, if you plan to attend group link, or if you're, you haven't told your husband or wife yet, but they're coming, they just don't know it yet. Make sure that you, register grouplink.org grouplink.org and don't spend this next season of your life disconnected because we really do believe circles are better than roads. and for those of you who are parents let me tell you my kids I never had to convince our kids the importance of circles because they saw mom and dad almost every single monday night say hey do your homework on your own this is mommy and daddy time and we hosted our community group of, you know year after year after year so please don't miss this opportunity it's a big big deal now This is a four part series. This is part three. So next week we're going to wrap it up. Um, So I want to start today like I started every you know, the other two parts and ask you the question and you know what the question is. Anybody know what the question is? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Now, we've said this is a really tricky question. It doesn't seem like a tricky question. I mean, what do you want? You know, things come to mind, people come to mind, peace of mind comes to mind, you know, don't have, not having to think about anything comes to mind. So, but it's a tricky question for this reason. We have all gotten what we thought we really wanted and discovered later it wasn't what we wanted at all. In fact, some of you got a who you really wanted and then realized later that's not who I want at all. Some of you got a job you really wanted. You got the car you really wanted. You got the house you really wanted. You got the whatever you really wanted. And then, you know, three months in, six months in, you know, 46 car payments later, you realize this isn't really what I wanted at all. So, this is a tricky question. Now, we've said there's a better question than what do I want? And the better question is what do I value? or what is really, really important. Because lurking in the shadows, we don't ever stop to think about it, lurking in the shadows of what you want is what you value or what you consider important. And so we've said for the last two or three weeks this, that we, you, I, we will never get what we really want until we discover, and that's what we're gonna talk about today, until we discover what we really value. Now. Seems like this should be easy, right? We just sit down, we ask the question, okay, what do I really value? I know what I want, but what do I value? I know what I want, but what do I value? I write down what I value, and then I'm good to go, right? But we said last week, this is way more complicated than that because here's the problem. What we naturally want, or what we want naturally, what we naturally want is often in conflict, or I would say almost always in conflict, with what we ultimately value. That's why when somebody says, what do you want? What comes to mind may not be what you really want. It's why when you were in your teens and your 20s, maybe your early 30s, what you were absolutely sure you wanted turned out not to be as fulfilling as perhaps you thought it would be. And every single day, in fact, maybe every single hour, there is an internal conflict inside of me and inside of you between what we naturally want and what we ultimately value. So last week I gave you a life verse for those of you who, you know, want to have like a life verse because the apostle Paul summed up this battle perfectly for us when he wrote these words. You remember this? He wrote, I do not understand what I do. And that's us, right? I do not understand what I do. I mean, I know what I want, but then I what I value. And once I've recognized what I value, I still go after what I want rather than I value. What is wrong with me? He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And that's all of our experience because there is a constant, constant, constant conflict between what you want naturally and what you want ultimately. What you want naturally and what you want ultimately. So to conquer that, for sure, we've gotta be able to zero in on or answer the question, what is it that we really, really value? Now, I told you I was gonna tell you a little bit of my story. I stumbled onto all of this in 1989. 1989, the year that Every Rose Has a Thorn came out by Poison, okay? (laughs) So I just want that song kind of running in the background of the rest of this message, okay? Anyway, in 1989, a very good friend of mine gave me a book that he thought we should read together. That many of you have read. In fact, about 25 million of you have read the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is the newest newest edition. It's not my original edition, edition which is dog-eared and marked up, and it's it's unbelievable. So I started reading this book because a friend was going to read it. We were going to read it together. Now, context: I had been married for one year. I did not have any kids. And so in the afternoons or whenever I had time, I would read the book. And I got to page 96 in my copy or page 103 in this newer edition. And here is what I read. Let me, I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit more of my story. Here's what I read. Here's what Stephen Covey writes. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funer, funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down to the front of the room, you look inside the casket, and you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years From today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first is from your family, immediate and also extended, children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, and cousins, and grandparents who have come from all over the country to celebrate your life. The second speaker is gonna be one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your profession or work. And the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply, he writes. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you like for them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? And then he writes this. Before you read any further, take a few minutes to jot down your impressions. Now, I like to read and I read lots of books and whenever I get to the part of a book where they say, now we want you to stop reading and get a pen and get a notebook, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that because the goal of reading a book is what? to finish the book, that's right. We don't care if we learn anything. We like to be able to say, oh yeah, I read that book. Yeah, I read that. (laughs) Put a check in that box. Oh yeah, yeah, I read that. Oh yeah, I read that years ago. You just found that book. Anyway, so, but on this particular occasion, I actually did what Stephen Covey suggested we do. I actually stopped reading the book. And the next morning, during my devotional time, you know, I pray a little bit, read a little bit of scripture. I decided to work through this exercise. So I actually got a little spiral ring notebook. I still have it. And I answered the question, what would I want Sandra to say? at my funeral three years from now. I didn't have any kids, so I imagine what would I want my son to say about me? I have two sons now. What would I want my daughter to say about me? I have a daughter now. What would I want a best friend to say about me? What would I want someone I work with? And I went through six or seven categories. I didn't do it all at one time. I did one one morning, the next morning. So this took me a little over a week. And I'm telling you, this is not normal for me. Because again, it's like, you know, let's just keep this thing going and get, get through the book. So I spent my morning time writing all this stuff out. So a week goes by and then I pick up the book and what he wrote next really was, for me, a life-changing, it was life-changing. It, it really was a defining moment. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, if you carefully consider what you, there's our word. If you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral experience, you will find your definition of success. Now, this was like, O-M-G. You know, this was like, but we didn't even have that back then. So this was like, are you kidding me? I mean, this was such a big moment for me. He said, it's basically staying off the page, Andy, now you know what success is for you. You may have thought you knew what it was. You may have imagined that you thought you knew what it was, but now you know with certainty what is most important to you, what, def, what your personal definition of success is. In other words, now you know what is most valuable and now you know what is most valuable to you. And here's the thing, and this won't come as a shock because if you've ever done an exercise like this, you discovered the same thing. That my definition of success had virtually nothing to do with accomplishment. It had everything to do with my character and how I treated people. But here's the tension and here's the conflict and here's why, this was, here's why this was so, excuse me, here's why I got choked up. And here's why this was so helpful to me. See, I love progress. I mean, progress is so important to me. I, mean, I love things to go forward. I'm a terrible counselor because counseling's about the past. It's like, okay, we'll just stop doing that, okay? And your marriage will be better. Okay, let's move on. You know, I'm a, not a good listener. I love meetings about the, pro, about the future. I love to set big goals. I like to build things and grow things. I, mean, I am so much about the future. And yet when I went through this exercise, nobody in my mind got up and talked about anything I had done. What I drove, where I lived, how much money I made, how many books I wrote, how many sermons I preached, how many church you know, none of that came up because as much as that, as much as I enjoy those things and as important as those things are, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, as important as all those things are, I discovered they are not actually what is most important to me. I had discovered what I really wanted. The drive to accomplishment I discovered is really just a means to an end. So here's what I did. I realized, oh no, I've got like six or seven paragraphs of stuff. And you know, my temptation is just to finish the book and I I can't let this stuff slip by. So I sat down. This is just what I did. And I decided I got to reduce all this down to something that's portable and memorable because memorable is portable and portable is memorable. Even that statement's portable and memorable. Anyway, I needed to reduce it down to some words. So I reduced all this information down to nine words. That became seven words that eventually became six words. And then, because I'm a Christian, you know, I decided to try to find a verse for each of these seven things and then six things, which was really more difficult than I thought it would be. And here's what happened this was so cool, and this wasn't on purpose. As soon as I narrowed it down to seven words, seven terms, those seven words became a perimeter around my behavior. They informed my conscience when I wandered outside the perimeter of those seven things that I wanted to be said about me. My conscience lit up, and here's the really odd thing. And this may not even make sense. And if you're not a Christian, no problem. You don't 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 get freaked out about this. This is just kind of a Christian thing, okay? But here's what happened for me: sin, sin became synonymous with failure. Now this was, I'm telling you, this was life-changing. Life-changing, let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. So for example, I'm not gonna tell you my list of words, you gotta get your own list, but I'll tell you one thing on my list that will probably show up on your list if you do this exercise. One of the things on my list was honest, honesty. That I want it said about me that if Andy says yes, it's a yes, and if it's a no, it's a no. That if he says he's gonna do something, he'll do it. And if he doesn't do it, he will tell you he didn't do it before you find out. I wanna be known as an honest person. Person. So here's what happened when I realized how how important honesty was. Then you know, telling a little white lie or not doing something I said I'm going to do in the past. That's like, oh yeah, whatever. You know, Lord, please forgive me. You know, I'm just kind of moving on. And suddenly, being dishonest wasn't just a oh yeah, everybody does. Suddenly, being dishonest was failure. Andy, you failed because at the end of your life, you want to be known as an honest person. This isn't just a little sin. You failed. Now the problem is honesty is costly, isn't it? I mean, you can lose a lot of money being honest. There's a lot of money that you'll leave on the table if you're honest. I mean, you have the potential to kind of wreck your reputation with people if you're absolutely honest. But the thing is, nobody in my funeral exercise says, he said he always won. No matter what it took, he always won. Andy was a winner, even if he had to lie, even if he had to cheat, even if he had to steal, Andy always came out on top. I didn't hear anybody saying that at my funeral. It was all about my character, that he was honest. Now, so does that mean I had these seven words and now I'm perfect because I stay with it? No, I'm not perfect, but here's the other thing I learned. This this was even more fascinating. I discovered that owning my failure is actually success. That owning up to the fact that I screwed up or blew it or didn't say what I was going that owning up to my failure was actually success because I wanted to be honest and I wanted to be transparent with who I was as a person. So suddenly it became so much easier for me to apologize. In fact, I got so good at apologizing. This is, you can ask Sandra, this is no lie. When our kids were little, okay, I didn't even have kids then, I got so good that when our kids were little, I noticed that our children had a real easy time apologizing. Anytime we'd confront them or they'd be disciplined for something, dad, I'm so sorry, You know, mom, I'm sorry. So I said to Sandra one day, I said, I know everybody thinks their kids are like the greatest kids, but does it, isn't it amazing how easy it is for our kids to own up to what they've done and apologize? She said, you know why? I said, no. She said, because they hear you do it all the time. I'm always apologizing because you know what to hide something to blame somebody not to own that's not just oh you shouldn't do that for me I discovered that's failure now here's the point because you, you may want to do that exercise you may not but here's the point if you're going to get what you really want to get what you really want to get what you really want you have to discover what you really value what's really most important to you, not this isn't a important versus not important. That's not it at all. What is most important, every day of your life, in fact, even while you're sitting here, in fact, this morning when you decided whether or not to get up, or this afternoon when you decided to, you know whether or not you're gonna come, or if you, when you were deciding whether or not to watch this, in that moment, you were prioritizing values. We do this all the time. There are 20 things that are important, but one of them has to be most important. So this isn't good versus bad. This isn't important versus not important. This is asking the question, what is most important, because we are constantly prioritizing our values. But here's the thing, you cannot prioritize what is most important to you until you discover what is most important to you. Again, I value progress. I mean, I love progress, but I also value integrity. This exercise exposed this truth to me, that at the end of the day, I actually value integrity more than I do. Progress, which means when there is a conflict between getting things done faster or getting things done bigger or getting things you know just moving, when there's a conflict between progress and integrity, I'm reminded, Andy, at the end of the day, integrity takes priority over progress because nobody stood up in your funeral and talked about anything you had accomplished. Discovering what you value will keep want from getting in the way of really want. So you need to discover what it is you really value, what you want most. And I'm telling you, unless you sit down and unless you spend some time with this, you could spend your entire life and never stumble upon it accidentally. This takes some intention. And here's why, what we said last week, because what you want naturally, what you want immediately, what you want naturally, what you want immediately is rarely what you want ultimately and ultimately is tied to what is really most important to you now because I'm a christian and because many of us are christians because you know probably most of us are christians we have to take this a step further and this is the great news in fact if you're not a christian this may be the most interesting part of the message even though you think it may have nothing to do with you because everything we've said so far that's just a thing thing it's not a christian thing it's just you know anybody can do that right but here's the cool thing Christians ask a better question that leads to a surprising conclusion. And here's the question that Christians ask. What does God really want? Or to tease it out a little bit, what does God really want for us? Now, for some of you, this is a scary question, especially if you grew up in church, you kind of drifted away, and the whole God thing is like, I don't know if I wanna go there. Or maybe you don't even believe in a personal God, or you believe in like creator God, but God's not personal. Or (laughs) you may be a Christian, and this is a scary question, because you think you are at odds with God over what you want and what God wants. We assume the real question is this, what does God want from us? Right? What does God want from us? Now, let me talk about that for just a minute because this is a big deal. Let me set it, let me set it up this way. When Jesus was teaching his followers how to pray, remember this, Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray because they grew up praying prayers, but they didn't really like the way they prayed apparently, or they thought Jesus prayed better prayers because they go to, come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay. Here's how you pray. And do you remember how Jesus instructed his disciples and I think instructs all of us to pray? Do you remember the first two words? Our, what is it? Our, everybody, even if you're watching at home, our father. Now this is so important. This is so clarifying. If you can just remember that Jesus has invited us to address God as father, it clears up so much confusion between the Old and New Testament, between passages in the New Testament that seem to conflict. I mean, if you can just remember the filter is, God is my heavenly father. It brings so much clarity to so many things. Now, with that in mind, let me ask you this question. What does a good parent, what does a good parent want from Their children? The answer is nothing that's not a product of our fallen egos. What does a really, really good parent want from their children? Nothing. Good parents want stuff for their children, not from their children. And parenting for takes precedence over from. In fact, takes precedence over from. If when you see a parent trying to withdraw or extract something from their kids to help their egos or to make them feel better as a person or a coach or whatever it might be, that's, I mean, that doesn't feel healthy to us. I mean, we look at that and go, there's something wrong with that because great parents want things for their children, not from. And here's the great news. Your heavenly father, Your heavenly Father wants something for you, not from you. We assume there's a competing agenda, that what I want and what God wants are at odds. What you want naturally and what God wants for you is at odds, but we've already discovered that most of the time what you want naturally is at odds with what you want ultimately. The whole idea of surrendering to God you know, scares us because we think somehow God's gonna leave us unhappy and unfulfilled. And you know, where in the world did that come from, right? I mean, how, how did God get to be such a bad person and a bad father? How did God get to be, have such a bad rap? Well, the answer to that question is church and people who do what I do, unfortunately, right? But when you read the New Testament and when you listen to Jesus talk about his heavenly father and your heavenly father, everything Changes. And here's what you're gonna discover. If you go through that eulogy exercise, the funeral exercise, here's what you'll discover. That you are closer, you are closer to wanting what God wants for you than you may have ever imagined before. That the eulogy exercise not only draws us closer to what we really want, it actually hints at what you were created for. We are not as far apart as we might imagine. So here's a question. So what does God want for you? What does God want for you? The apostle Paul, who we looked at a passage last week when he talked about how you know we just kind of lean toward what's natural. And every time we lean toward what's natural, you know unhealthy things often happen. In that same passage, the apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into what God wants for us. Here, here's how he writes it in the book of Galatians. He says this, Galatians chapter five. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is. Now, fruit of the spirit. Basically, what this means is if God had his way, If God had his way, if God would override your free will, if God this afternoon took control of your life and by control suddenly you just have to do, think and react the way God wants you, if God were to take over the fruit of the spirit or the outcome is this. For the fruit of the spirit is hate, sorrow, fear, frustration, meanness, badness, faithlessness, unkindness and slavery to all known appetites. See, that's exactly what you don't want. That's exactly what I don't want. That's exactly what God don't want for you, right? Because here's what the apostle Paul says, this is so powerful. He says, if God were to have his way in your life, if somehow God were to override your free will, he's not gonna do that. He loves you too much. But if God were to have his way, if you were to get into, as we're gonna see in a minute, lockstep with your heavenly father, here's what Paul says it looks like. For the fruit of the spirit, you know this, is love, joy, and peace. It's like, oh, no, 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 I can't have any of that. Okay, no way, no way. I want an F-150, you know, I want the, the Raptor, I want a garage, you know, I, I don't know. I don't love, joy, and peace. You know, I want her, I don't want love, joy, and peace. I want him, I don't want love, joy, and peace. Listen, look up here. And if you're not a Christian person, I, I understand this is just so weird, but just, just bear with me. These three things would solve most of your problems. These three things would definitely solve most of your relationship problems. Love, the ability to love someone who's unlovable and forgive them even though they don't deserve it, joy, To be able to step into difficult circumstances and still have joy. You've met people with joy. You thought they were on something. It's like, okay, or that they were in denial. It's like, are you kidding me? Your life's falling apart. Your job's falling apart. Your kids are in trouble. And you just have this sense of contentment and and joy in the midst of this. What's wrong with you? Many of you have traveled to third world countries and you've met some Christians in third world countries and they have more joy than you've ever had. And that's about all they have. What is that? That is the product of someone who has surrendered their heart and their life to their heavenly father. Love, joy, and my goodness, peace. Okay, let's just, if I can just be honest, we're friends, right? Some of you have to get a prescription for this. <laughs> and some of you have some subscriptions for this, right? Because it's not natural. You can't work it up. You can't work it out. You can't find it. Now think about this. Come on, look up here. Your heavenly father Your heavenly father wants you to have something you know you want. Peace, contentment, an internal sense of satisfaction that is somehow disconnected but doesn't put you in denial of what's happening around you. This is why I say, when you discover what you really want, when you discover what you really value, you are not as far from your heavenly father as you may have imagined love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control see when you get behind the stuff and you get behind the person and if you once you get behind if she would only and if he would only you start late you, you you find yourself in this world And this is from a guy, okay, for all of you type A's that are worried about, okay, if I do that, I'll never get anything done. Just just listen, okay? This is from a guy who got more done than you will ever get done without electricity and he never had a shower, okay? So if you're worried about, oh my gosh, if I kind of lean into this, there's not gonna be any progress. That's not the case at all. He goes on and he says this. He says so, now he kind of talks about this lockstep idea. He says so, live by the, so, so we live by the spirit. Let us keep in step with the spirit. Now, this is so powerful because he harkens back to something that Jesus said. Because when Jesus showed up and started putting together his band of merry men, his original invitation to them, his original invitation to them was not obey and it wasn't submit. His original invitation was follow. I just want you to follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. Well, I don't have all the answers. Just follow me. And if you were to say to your heavenly father, okay, if I follow you, where are we going? He would say, let me tell you where we're going. We're going to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's where we're going. Will I get anything accomplished? Of course you will. You'll get more accomplished, not less. I mean, come on. Kindness does not impede progress, does it? I mean, self-control doesn't undermine accomplishment. You'll get more to, what if all that energy you put into worrying, you put into something productive? What if all the energy you put into covering up what you don't want anyone to know was replaced by self-control and you were able to put all of that into something productive? What if all the money you spent on things, just trying to feel better and trying to get your act together, what if you were able, you will be far more productive. And that's not the point, but I know that's a fear. Because oftentimes people feel like Christianity is some kind of passive, ooey gooey thing. Nothing could listen. We would not be here 2,000 years later if that's all there was to it. And then he says this this is, imagine if just the folks in your office got hold of this, okay? You you may not even want them to know about this. This is this would change everything. Look what he says. Let us talking about the people in the church, but hey, you can try this at home, you know. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What if what if everybody in your company, what if everybody in your industry got hold of this? I mean, oh my gosh, think of the, the collaboration. Think of the progress. Think of the efficiency. If there was no more ego, I don't care who gets credit, we're just going to get it done. If there was no more provoking and provoking and trying to take sides and I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to play good cop, bad cop. Imagine if there was no more jealousy and envying each other. Do you want to know where your heavenly father wants to lead you? There. And here's what I know about you. That's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. Here's how I know that. Because you may not latch on to all this personally. You may there may be something in you that's like, I don't know, love, joy, and peace. That sounds like, I don't know what that sounds like, that just sounds awful. But here's what I know about you. You value those things. And here's how I know. Because you want the people around you to be characterized by those things. You want your son's future wife to be characterized by those things. You want your daughter's future husband to be characterized by those things. You hope to meet somebody someday who's characterized by gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are things you value. And because you value them, you need to pay attention to them because they are lurking in the shadows of what you say you want. So back to our question. What do you want? What you really want and what God really wants for you are closer than you've ever imagined. And if you keep digging into this question and you get behind the stuff and you get behind the experiences and you get behind the money and you dig and you dig and you dig, you keep digging and eventually you get to things like meaning and significance and legacy. And eventually you may find yourself face to face with the will of your heavenly father for your life. But I'm jumping ahead a little bit. First, you gotta discover what's most important to you. So this week, I want you to think about it. I want you to make some notes. You may even wanna do the eulogy exercise. You know, you can get the book. Some of you already have the book. You can buy the book. You can go to the bookstore with your phone and take a couple pictures, put it, don't ever do that, okay? Just buy the book, all right, you know? just, and you were already thinking that. And then you're going to take those pictures and go home and decide, you know what? I want to be honest. Oh my gosh. And you have to go back and buy the book anyway. So anyway, I want you to, to, to take some time, write some things down, get yourself some words because come on, when you discover, you know this, when you discover what you really value, you will be less prone to settle for what you merely want. And here's the thing as your pastor. I don't want you to settle i don't want you to settle i don't want you to settle for what you merely want i want you to discover what you really actually value because when that, when what's actually important becomes most important you're on your way to getting what you really want but don't be surprised if along the way you don't come face to face with the will of your heavenly father we'll pick it up there next week you can see all these messages download the questions right here at reallywantseries.org, reallywantseries.org. If you've got friends, you're thinking, oh, I wish they were here, they can find it right here. If you're in a group, there's gonna be some great stuff to talk about at the end of this session. Just download the PDF for part three. Don't miss part four as we wrap it up next week. Let me pray for us, and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to call the creator of our universe, Father, Father. I pray that for many of us that would sink in and change everything as it relates to how we view you. A perfectly trustworthy, heavenly father to give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. I pray father that many of us would make discoveries this week that are literally life changing, but more than just changing a few habits and more than just changing how nice we are, how kind we are. I pray that in the process, we would come face to face with you that we would come face to face with what you've called us to be, what you've created us to be. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week for part four of how to get what you really want.